0: Welcome to Civil-ish, the show about respecting the differences. I'm your host, Johnny Bird, and I'm excited for you to be here today to join in this conversation. This week, we're talking to the Executive Director of the South Coast Interfaith Council. Her name is Milia Islam Majid. And we're touching on some of the same topics that we've hit before, but from a slightly different perspective. Because we actually have something in common. We grew up in the Bible Belt, and she's a Muslim. It's a good conversation. It's a great story as well. And we come to the same conclusion that if we want to make the world a better place, if we want to have a little more unity about us, we actually have to get a little uncomfortable and talk to people that are different than us. And that's what we're trying to do on this show. I hope that you are finding value. And I know that you'll enjoy this conversation today. Welcome to Civil-ish, the show about getting together and having discussions and learning about other people and maybe even disagreeing a little, but doing it civilly. That's what we try to do here. And today we have a great guest for you today, Milia Islam Majib. I think I got it. Yep. She's the executive director of the Mission Co- South Coast Interfaith Council. That's right. That's it. Got it.
1: There you go. Thank
0: you. <laughs> How are you doing today, Amelia?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired, but I'm good. So, it's uh, it's been an interesting life work balance with this COVID and pandemic paradigm. So, but but I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me <laughs> on the show.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you could be here thank you. Well, we'll go ahead and get started then. My first question, the one that I always like to start with is who are you? What makes you you?
1: <laughs> you know, it's funny, John. I was listening to some of your other podcasts and I soon realized that this is your first question and I st- sat there and I thought to myself, I wonder how long the show is for me to answer this question. <laughs> but it's a very loaded question. But um I don't know I think you know for me first and foremost in terms of kind of my core identity of who i am um i'm a I'm a muslim american Muslim American so my faith islam you know i I feel that that's really something that guides everything that I do and who i am and and this country you know even with all the challenges that lie within and we've certainly been privy to quite a few challenges in in the recent you know years and such uh, regardless of that, you know, it's this country that really affords me the right and the privilege and the freedom to live out my faith. So I think for me, my my faith is 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 at its core of who I am. And it really shapes my other identities as well, um, which are equally important to me and that of being a mother. I'm a mother to an almost two-year-old little girl, um, as well as I think on a professional level, I really consider myself to be a bridge builder. And I think, you know, when I see my little girl, and, and we've had, you know, the opportunity now where she's basically in the office with me every day, right? Because my office is at home. But she reminds me every single day why I really devote my life to bridge building and why I do my best to, you know, really bring about peace in this world. And I'm blessed to do that in the capacity of a prof- in, the, in my profession as the executive director of the South Coast Faith Council.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I do appreciate that you started with your religion as your identity. Many of us that hold to a faith hold that to be a core of who we are. One of the things that I believe that our mutual friend Tasneem mentioned about you is that you grew up in the Bible Belt of the United States. I I know the region well, and I'm very interested to hear a little more about that.
1: I did. I, you know, I often say like where I there's like the Bible Belt of America, and like the region in which I grew up. I always say that's like the sparkly, really shiny buckle on that Bible Belt of America, you know? And, um, and I've always said that, you know, God has a sense of humor. I mean, it's, it's crazy how we ended up there. But I did. I grew up in actually Fulton, Missouri. Are you familiar with Fulton, Missouri?
0: Not specifically now. Okay,
1: but- it's okay. Not a lot of people are. <laughs> But um, so my parents, they actually migrated to America when I was six years old. And this was back in 1986 or so. Um, and from a third world country called Bangladesh. Now in Bangladesh, we had a very, very comfortable life. My father was a colonel in the army. And with that came a sense of, you know, prestige and privilege and a very solid, you know, economic status there. But, you know, America arguably has one of the best existing uh, educational systems in the world. And it was really precisely for that reason that my parents um, moved here or wanted to migrate here. Um, literally for the betterment of my older brothers and my education. So at that time, this is in 1980, my uncle, my mother's mother, my mother's father, my mother's brother, Who was uh, doing his uh, residency in ophthalmology in a small Midwestern town of Mexico, Missouri. He sponsored us. And after six years, we were granted a permanent residency visa. So when we came here, we lived with him for a year. And then my father, he opened an optical business in the neighboring town of Fulton, Missouri, where my uncle also practiced a few days a week. And then the rest is history. And, you know, that's where I grew up. And you know growing up there it wasn't easy In, certainly initially it wasn't easy at all but at the end of the day i always say you know fulton is my home it made me who i am so you know that's that's a truth that i always uh, that i will always be proud to say um, but i think one of the things that it definitely showed me and really just kind of guided my both academic studies as well as my profession you know it really showed me that you know people are often really afraid of what they don't understand or they don't know right? It yes. just freaks yes. them out. That's just the way it is. And the demographics are such that, that the Bible built of America is, is quite homogenous when it comes to those who live there. So we grew up in a community and at that time, it was about you know, 9,000 or 10,000 population um, that was predominantly white and predominantly Christian, if not all Christian. And then comes like this family of four that's like brown skinned and you know, uh, spousing a whole different faith tradition and culture. So I think it was a shock to a lot of people there. And <laughs> um, yeah, so my parents, um, Mathiel and Fatima Islam, they were highly educated individuals, but as what often happens with immigrants, when you come to America or you migrate to another country, your educational status means very little. And you, in many cases you have to kind of start over your higher education So they really came here and they started a whole new life. And the question for them was whether they should, they themselves should go back to school and obtain their graduate degrees or start providing, you know, a sense of economic stability for their children, which is my brother and I, and they chose the latter. And so like many immigrants, you know, who come here, um, my father worked the graveyard shift at McDonald's while operating his business during the day. And my mother, um, who was, uh, aspiring to be a physician. And in that, in that field, she was now working in a shoe factory, you know, up until I was in high school and, uh, and, and it wasn't easy for them. And it was in these, you know, settings that they were, you know, ridiculed for not being able to speak proper English. And, and, you know, believe it or not, we even received the death threats, you know, letters telling us to go back to where we came from. And, you don't belong here and, you know, the whole gamut of that. So it was uh, it was definitely an interesting upbringing <laughs> growing up there.
0: I'm sure it was. I grew up at another section of the Bible Belt, and I knew very few people that were different from me. Yeah. It's just yeah. the truth.
1: Exactly. And that's the thing. And, and I think that's what makes it a bit challenging as well because, you know, there's – a lot of fear can be attributed to either you know someone and you still think that they're crazy or you simply just don't know them. And that's, that's, that's the truth of the matter is, like I said, in that region, it is a lot of, it's a very homogenous community and many of the community members there, they don't necessarily leave either, right? Nor do new individuals come in as much. And so unless there's maybe an academic, higher academic institution and things like that that brings students in. So it's kind of like they're 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 in this vicious cycle of just you know being around one another without necessarily any type of exposure to really diversity and it's gotten a lot better, sure, but I think you know the diversity that they may be. Uh, it you know exposed to is through the media and that's not always a positive you know understanding of diversity and i think <laughs> a lot of it, i think a lot of the stereotypes especially when it comes to muslims you know a lot of those stereotypes are 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 really built because of that so when we came to them it was like oh my god they're you know they're here <laughs> here we go and and you know but you know what john one of the things i always emphasize you know i do a great deal of public speaking and one of the things i really emphasize when i Talk about my story is that, you know, in, invariably, like I said, you know, these people, some of the people that you know sent us death threats and things like that. My brother is actually a physician who practices in that town, even now in Fulton, Missouri. Oh, wow! And, yeah, and and my and him and my my parents they live together and they actually live in the neighboring town of Columbia, Missouri. But their life is still you know in the Midwest. They're still there. And what I always try to emphasize is, you know, some of these people who sent us these death threats, and there were literal, you know, letters and things like that, that were sent to us, you know, invariably, they're some of my brother's patients now, right? And so these people who first wanted us to be dead are now in many ways, you know, they have their life in the hands of my brother. And I think that's a huge testament to what happens when we you know when we look at fear and we don't allow fear to shape who we are but rather we use it as a tool to better understand one another because in that duration of that 30 years that you know we we were in Fulton we went from being these you know who are these people we don't want them here to really like yeah, a fabric of that community and you know so much so i always joke about this you know i was fortunate i did my graduate studies at harvard and when i got accepted i was in the newspaper right i had a picture and Bang. I was like, you know, this is living the life. Right. And uh, but I mean, if you really think about what that means, it's, it's really profound because here's this community that once, you know, really didn't want us there at all. But right now, you know, it, it's it's transitioned to not only just accepting, but fully embracing us and sharing in the joy of one of them, you know, leaving small town Fulton and, you know, going to Boston to pursue higher education. So I think, you know, that transition from fear to friendship is a really powerful one. And, um, and I think, you know, for me, I'm, I'm blessed that the work I do, I feel like I am able to do that same thing. You know, have people who maybe are afraid of one another and take that fear and then provide a platform to where that fear ultimately then results in a sense of friendship. With the one that they feared before, mm-hmm. um, so I, I feel very, very blessed to do that.
0: And I can't help but think of as you're speaking, we're always, generally speaking, scared of them, right? Uh, as a group,
1: yeah.
0: Whoever them is, mm-hmm. but when we start to get to know people on a one-on-one basis, that's different. Hundred percent,
1: absolutely. That's all.
0: It's almost like this is slightly different, but it's the same way. It's the same idea. A lot of people, especially parents, will say, well, the schools in America are going downhill, except for the one my kid goes to. That was really good.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. It's absolutely right, and and it's you know it, it amazes me like how prevalent that thought process is though, because even to this day, and you know I know that the the viewers or listeners can't see what I look like, but I am a practicing Muslim. I wear the headscarf, you know, the whole shebang deal, and uh, you know, and oftentimes I'm when you're when you've been a minority your whole life, you you can assess um, how how you're being looked upon, you know, it's something that you pick up because you've been in the minority for your entire life. Um, And it's so interesting to me how, you know, people have that sense of trepidation, right, when they first see me. But yet, if you speak to me, I have no accent, you know, I speak, I I grew up here. And, you know, I often say, you know, I'm as American as apple pie. But again, it's that fear of, you know, not fully getting who I am or having a misunderstood perspective of who they think I am. Um, And, and, and it's amazing because exactly what you said in terms of them, I've had so many people even to this day who will be like, but you're not really like them. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, in fact the majority of us are just like me, if not better, you know, but Again, you know, it just goes to show that we have work left to do. And so, so we, 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 gives us job security, I guess.
0: <laughs> I suppose. And the work is hard because it really does take place one person at a time.
1: Yeah, it does. It does. It's about relationships. And that's so it
0: important.
1: It's absolutely about relationships and, um, and really at the end of the day, seeing the humanity that binds us together. And, and that takes, and that takes work and that takes effort. And, uh, you know, my brother is in the hard sciences and I'm in the soft sciences. And sometimes we have these discussions of, you know, which profession is actually harder, right? Because it's two (laughs) very different paradigms. But at the end of the day, you know, both take a tremendous amount of work and patience as well. Um, But, you know, it's a calling and a passion for me and I feel incredibly blessed to be able to do it.
0: Excellent segue into the interfaith work that you do as the director of the South Coast Interfaith Council. Tell me a little bit about that real quick, and then I have a couple of questions for you on that one. Sure.
1: So the council, we are a nonprofit organization. We're actually the South Coast Interfaith Council. We're the largest and the oldest interfaith council in in all of California. And um, it was in 1953 that it started as an ecumenical council and then uh, years later uh, transferred or transformed into an interfaith council. And so right now we're based out of Long Beach, but we serve 35 cities in the South Bay. And our whole mission is you know, we create, we pride ourselves in creating communities of compassion among people of different faiths. And we do this through service, education and celebration. So all of our programs fall under one of those three trajectories. And, you know, we, for me being the director, I've been there for, I, 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 I was thinking about this when I was thinking about you know, questions that you were going to ask me. And I can't believe I've been in this position for 12 years, which is <laughs> insane. But um, so when I start, took this position, it was actually the first time in its history that they hired someone who was not of the Christian faith. So I'm really proud to say that it's an organization that just doesn't talk about diversity, but really does practice it in terms of its implementation of its own processes, as well as obviously the programs that we do.
0: Well, thank you. This, I've talked to a couple other people on interfaith work, and I'm still trying to figure it out exactly what it means. And here's my first provocative question, if you will. Are you being a quote unquote, quote unquote, good Muslim when you're doing work that could potentially build up other faiths at the expense of your own?
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, that's a great question. And, and you know, honestly, I think that's what many people think, that by um, somehow by me lifting up people who espouse a different faith than my own, or, you know, that somehow I am, um, you know, lessening my own faith tradition or doing it in the expense of my faith, you know, faith tradition. But for me, honest to God, I feel like when I provide a platform, uh, and and I meaning, you know, me and the organization, are, you know, everyone that's involved with it, when we provide a platform for my Jewish or my Baha'i or my Zoroastrian or my Sikh friends to share about their faith, you know, that, that. By doing so, in no way am I compromising my own tradition. And, and if you let me, allow me, I'll explain a little further. Like I said, I've been in this position now for about you know 12 years. And even my studies were focused on theology and interfaith work and things like that. And what I have truly have, have grown to understand is it's actually the exact opposite. That I truly feel that I am, in fact, being a good Muslim because I'm ensuring that others are not misunderstood or somehow discriminated against because of their faith that they choose to practice. And and that I'm, in fact, being a good Muslim by making sure that I ensure that a person of another faith, you know, they have the same rights to share their their faith tradition as I do. And I think what's amazing is when you engage in this work at the end of the day, you truly realize that your own faith is just enriched even more, and in fact, not compromised at all. I mean, I think it's really something that requires an individual to be engaged in the work to fully understand what that means.
0: Hmm. I'm thinking of two different levels here. Sure. And let me see if I can explain them or think them through right now. One of them is kind of a First Amendment issue, the freedom of worship, Right, and that everybody believes in that, and the freedom to worship in however they believe, that's guaranteed in the Constitution. And the other one is, well, they have the freedom to worship, sure, but they're wrong. <laughs> right. So do I really want to right. move that along?
1: Right. So here's the thing again, and and especially, you know, this is true for so many things, but especially within the paradigm of faith, Faith, you have to decide how you look at faith and how you perceive it to be. Now, for someone like myself, obviously right now, you know, on the last, you know, 12 years, I've been working on a very grassroots level, you know, with the people, with practitioners of faith. And, but prior to that, I was in academia. You know, like I said, I, you know, I was getting my master's degree and I was on my way to to uh, get my PhD in theology and theology of the world religions. And just even in my master's study, you know, what, while I was studying, you know, what I was studying theology, what, it wasn't something that was very easy for me to do, but what I chose to build upon is what I learned when I studied these religious texts, right? So be it the Quran, the Torah, the Bible, the sayings of uh, Baha'u'llah, the Bhagavad Gita, whatever these texts were. For me, what I chose to focus on is that all these texts have moral and ethical precepts in them. And they're very similar to one another about the unity of of humankind, things like about the respect, the importance of respect, um, the mandate of love, and and also the fact that faith, religion, is something that's very personal and individual between a person and, and God. And that we as human beings are not in a place to judge, but rather to connect to one another as human beings and to honor that humanity. So to me, that's, for me, that is key. And that's what I bring into the interfaith work. Um, it's not to say that, sure, other people may feel, you know, where, We they have to engage in some sort of conversation where you know conversion has to be the end, but the work that we do that's not the purpose. The work that we do is we highlight the differences, we respect it, and we agree that we all have common precepts and of of moral and ethical precepts, and that we're going to choose to build on that.
0: I see what you're talking about, and it makes sense. There's the idea of two different. Of two different kingdoms, if you will, the faith, maybe your faith works toward building the kingdom of God. There's also the idea that faith also works to build, to make this a better world. Right. So this is the aspect of building a better world so that people to lift everyone up instead of just your own self.
1: Exactly. And that's the thing. And it's not to say, you know, let For example, and I'll I'll give you a tangible example. One of the programs that I do, that we do per the council are called what's called interfaith cafes. And this falls under um, the trajectory of our educational initiatives. And you know, before COVID, you know, obviously it was a physical gathering where um, every month we would go to a different place of worship. You know, say in January we would go to the synagogue, and we would make sure you know there's people there from all different faith communities, and it would just literally be that a cafe. We would have discussion questions. We would get to know each other from um, from our from each person's perspective as a Jew, a Muslim. A Baha'i, a Sikh, and and whatnot, but it's interesting, you know. I tend to have a sense of humor because, hello, I, I grew up in the Midwest. You have to, you know. And <laughs> uh, one of the things I always say, and it always gets a few giggles, but it's really important to point out is, you know, when I'm when I'm kind of laying out the guidelines for that afternoon, you know, one of the things I always emphasize is that listen, this setting, it isn't about you know determining that your God is better than my God or that. Your prophet is more handsome than my prophet, or anything like that. It's about building relationships and friendships, you know? And so I think once we lay that kind of a, a guideline, then it makes facilitating the conversations a bit easier. But you'll always have someone there who will, you know, they're try- I think they come with really good intentions, but it's a very linear understanding of faith. And, uh, and that, you know, and that being that theirs is the only one and their, you know, entire purpose in life is to convert everyone. And, you know, and and you got to respect that, but at the same time, find a way to say that, Hey, you know, this isn't necessarily the right place for you to be right now.
0: Hmm. Okay. I'm thinking of, you just mentioned the Bible Belt again. I'm thinking of the Bible Belt and the type of Christians that are there, usually conservative evangelical type Christians. Yeah, they are. Are they, are they generally big on interfaith efforts?
1: So, again, you know, I don't want to, miss, it's, it's very difficult to, or it's improper even to, you know, to do what we, you know, um, fault the others for doing, which is, you know, generalizing and whatnot. Right, but right. That would it speak for the entirety of the co- conservative evangelical movement here. I can say, however, from my own experiences, in terms of on a professional level, I wish that there were more evangelical conservative uh, communities and, and not just evangelical conservative Christian communities. I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, evangelical communities in all the faith traditions espouse it. You know, there are some Muslim communities that are very, um, you know, uh, black and white about their faith. There's the same goes for uh, Jewish communities, uh, Zoroastrian communities. All faith traditions have communities that are more insular and very linear and very black and white. Now, I wish, truthfully, that that they would engage with our work more. But the truth of the matter is that I, it's not nearly as much as I would love for that to be. But, you know, we try our best. And what I found is one of the ways where I myself have met people who, you know, are from more of the conservative, more of the inv- evangelical background is really through our service programs, you know, be it where we're the beach cleanups, the feeding the homeless, or um, we do collaborative initiatives with the Habitat for Humanity, building homes together. What I really found is that that really brings people together from different faith communities that maybe an interfaith, that, that they wouldn't rather, they would rather be there than at an interfaith cafe, right? They don't necessarily want to hear you talk about their faith, but they want to do something good. And so when that opportunity arises, they engage in that opportunity. And what I love is that while they're engaging in that opportunity, they're also engaging really in in interfaith work because for many of those individuals, they have never, uh, you know, met another Jewish person or met another Sikh person or met another Muslim person. And if this platform wasn't provided, um, then they may not have ever, you know, met such an individual. And, and, that, and that's very sad. Um, so I see in the service uh, arena that there's more opportunities for more of the evangelical and conservative communities to engage in. Um, in terms of overall, I think certainly I wish that there was more engagement for sure. But it's really fascinating, John. Again, I go back to my childhood. You know, many of the community members I grew up with are, in fact, conservative, are, in fact, Christian, very devout. I went to church on Sundays. You know, there was no mosque. There were no Muslims. (laughs) You know, it was my mother and my brother and my father and I. And faith was very important to us. And we practiced it. You know, we did our five daily prayers at home. And even in school, we did our afternoon prayers. That was something that was really important. But I think my parents had the foresight to see that we can't live in an insular bubble. Clearly, we have to be part of this community. And I was always fascinated by faith. So they afforded me the opportunity to go to, you know, Bible studies and things like that. And so what I found fascinating is that they're very clearly very devout to their faith. But at the same time, they really love me too. And I think it's a bit of a dissidence sometimes to kind of, you know, um, come to terms with that. But I think that's what interfaith work is. I think it's making you a little uncomfortable and challenging the views that you might have already in you. And and seeing that, you know, there's, there's a greater opportunity for us to build meaningful relationships, even amidst the diversity of faiths that we have. And that's what we aim to do.
0: I like what you said right there. And the thing that really jumped out was challenging the views that you have, Mm -hmm. because if they can't really stand up or you're afraid that they can't stand up, then you kind of need to rethink your views anyway.
1: Sure. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And that's what I mean in the beginning when I said that, you know, so in my personal experience, definitely it has made me a stronger Muslim because so many people have, and I'm the first one to let you know if I don't know something. And there has been plenty of times when, you know, I've done some sort of, uh, you know, speaking at a church or synagogue or or university, whatever it may be. And a question comes and I say, you know what, I, I myself don't even know that. But let me look into it and I'll get back to you. And in doing that, that's what further strengthens my own faith, right? Because someone else channeled me, you know, channeled me on something I didn't know.
0: Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Although we don't like to be, well, rather it takes a bit of humility to exactly. admit that you don't know. hundred percent,
1: of course. But it's a beautiful thing when you do it because, you know, then, you, then again, that's another point where you can connect as human beings, right? And I think-
0: It is. I
1: think, I think that's what our world needs so much right now is just for first and foremost for us to just realize, hey, we're in this together, you know, we're, we're in this, we're on this earth if I cut I bleed if if you get a cut you bleed as well you know let's just let's just connect on that human level and build compassion between one another and then from that I think grows respect and understanding and and so forth
0: Well spoken We've spoken for quite a while already it went by so fast but I do want to make sure you have the last words how can people learn more about you and your work and contact the Interfaith Council, if they would like to.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would love to. If there's any way that we can be of service to anyone that's listening out there, please know that it would be our honor to do so. So the organization is South Coast Interfaith Council, and our website is um, sc, like in Sam and Kat, interfaith.org. We have a Facebook page. We have a YouTube page that doing this the COVID era, we've done a number of programs, obviously on Zoom, and they're all on there. So we invite you to please take a look at that. And, uh, and like I said, if there's any way, my email is milia, M I L I A, at scinterfaith.org. Um, just shoot me an email and we'd love to connect on, on, and be of support or help or, um, just to know one another. That would be great.
0: Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for coming by today and really reinforcing the idea that I think has almost been in a lot of my different podcasts. It takes relationships to get to know one another and to make that touch point of connection. And then we really can make the place a little more bearable. It's, not, it's too strong of a word. A little better.
1: Absolutely. That connecting to heart to heart, there's nothing more important than that. I truly believe that.
0: And connecting with people that are just a little different than us. It makes it makes us a little better in some way as well.
1: Absolutely. Makes life fun. Why not?
0: (laughs) I agree. I agree. Well, thank you so much, Amelia.
1: You're welcome. And you have a great day. Thank you so much, John.
0: Well, I'd like to thank Melia for being here today. And I'd like to thank you for listening in today on this conversation. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and do that. And please share this on Facebook or your favorite media platform. That would be super helpful.